We're going to have over 20 people baptized in water here in a moment. And so we want to adjust our service and go right to the preaching of the word. It is going to draw us to 1 Corinthians as we start tonight. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament. The book that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians, and we'll go to the 10th chapter. Kelly is at home tonight with Lindsay and Connor. They are not feeling well, but Kelly and I were talking this afternoon about how you received this morning's message. It, it says so much about us as a church. When you see the reception and, and you take that kind of a message to the heart. In, in no way would I ever want to be harsh or preach from, from a hard heart, a hardness of heart, but a tenderness with tears about the seriousness of sin. I have been in services where I, I felt we were just beat over the head with the scripture. Matter of fact, I, I heard of a service where the pastor just in a mean spirit was really preaching on sin and, and the people didn't know what to do. So this great saint of the church, she just stood up, spoke in tongues and gave the interpretation herself. So she spoke in tongues and then this was the interpretation. Yea, God would say, ouch. <laughs> Can you imagine that service? I mean, even God was hurting. God said, ouch. Back off already. But I, I thank you so much for the way you received that word. It's an important word, isn't it? This morning dealt with personal sin, my sin, your sin, and how we bring that in confession to God. And God makes an incredible change in our life through his, his boundless mercy. Tonight is about us. It's not my sin or your sin, but it's about us and warnings for us so that we walk carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to begin reading at verse 6. It says, these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say... The people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. We must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Skip down to verse 11, and it says, These things happened to them as examples for us. What happened to them serve as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Now, who is it talking about? Often in the scripture, you can find at the bottom of the page an indicator. If your Bible's like mine, you'll see that in bold, it gives you chapter 10, verse 7, and out beside it, it'll show you Exodus 32, letting you know that who he's talking about in verse 7 would take you back to chapter 32 of the book of Exodus and seeing their activity helps give interpretation of the warnings that Paul is trying to give us in 1 Corinthians 10. So our focus tonight is going to take us to Exodus 32. So take your Bibles now and go with me to this Old Testament book, Exodus 32. I would like to read for you six verses. Follow with me in your copy of the scripture. 
When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it in the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And then to get interpretation on the word revelry, it takes you back to 1 Corinthians 10, 7, and it would interpret that as immorality. You know the context. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but God set them free split the Red Sea, they walked across on dry ground. It was one miracle after the other. Moses goes to the mountain and God speaks and there's incredible law given so that the people would know how to live. And then he goes back up to the mountain and while he's there, what we just read occurs, verses 1 through 6. And what we read here, Paul says, these are warnings So that what happened then is not just their story, it is also our story and we learn from their story. And I want to give you the first warning. It's that we must never seek a leader without conviction. They sought a leader who had no conviction. Moses is on the mountain seeking the face of God. Joshua is gone and so they look to Aaron and they say in verse 1, Hey, make us gods. They had been delivered, manna has come, water has come, and yet they still don't trust God, so they seek a leader, and the leader they seek doesn't have conviction, so he does what they want him to do. The strong warning is that in the present day, when we seek leadership, We would not only be interested in their talent, their popularity, their ability through their charisma charisma to hold a crowd, but that we would be interested in their prayer life, their walk with God, their earnestness in the Word of God. We would be interested in their authentic relationship with Jesus. You understand that the message I preached this morning would not be popular in many places and would not be preached in many places. We all must see the love of pleasure that is trumping the love of God in our day. And there is a certain uh, theme of sermons that leaves people comfortable in their sin rather than confronting them in their sin. I don't think you have to confront people in hardness and harshness. But I don't believe in a gospel that is imbalanced. This gospel is a comfort and it also confronts us in our sin and it calls us to the mercy of God and the deliverance so we walk in the freedom that we just sang about tonight. Christianity, 
it promises everything. But there is a cost. And it is okay to talk about the cost of following Jesus and the lordship of Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that we can address felt needs. But I remember a season in my ministry where I had been talking about one felt need after the other. And a great mentor of mine came to me and said, you know, you just can't counsel every need from the pulpit. And as I went in reflection and intercessory prayer over what he said to me, and I looked over my sermon calendar, I realized I'd gotten away from preaching the cross and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it was all about healing our hurts. I'm for that, but not to the imbalance of raising up the cross as central and our boast being in the cross and calling us to the lordship of Jesus Christ where there is liberty. Our confession, if necessary, is seeking a leader without conviction. Our corporate celebration is that when we turn to Jesus and we love Jesus, he restores conviction. When we turn to Jesus, we are looking at the one who is the leader of the church. He is the head of the church. We are looking to him, and when we look to him, then we look to those who value him. I am so thankful for the deacons of this church. And, and I'm challenged and impressed with their, their high value of Jesus and their walk of holiness. I'm thankful for the associate pastors and the, the teachers of this church. I am thankful for you because you don't disregard the holiness of God and you don't trivialize the greatness of God. And that causes the foot candle of the light of God to burst forth in influence across this community. Oh, thank God that we value Jesus. As a result, we value leaders of conviction. I would like to pause right here and pray. Each challenge, each warning leads us to a prayer. A prayer of protection over conviction and leaders that value Jesus. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we receive this warning. We look at how easy it is in this culture to follow a cultural Christianity rather than a biblical Christianity. We see how the message of holiness is still a necessary message that love and holiness go together. And so I pray, oh God, that you keep us centered. And I pray, oh God, that you keep us so focused on you that we value leaders who value you. Leaders of conviction. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, here's warning number two. We must never devise salvation without dedication. These people were once in Egypt, meaning they were surrounded by idolatry. And now when you read Exodus 32, you see these people no longer in Egypt, but doing what they saw in Egypt. They've been saved out of that, but now they are practicing where they used to be. Look at verse number four, if you will. Verse four, then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe what we just read? 
They're claiming salvation while they indulge in sin. They're using their salvation to justify their sin. Here's the great good news about salvation. When we get saved, we get a radically new heart. But it leads us to dedication. Go over to chapter 20, holding your place in chapter 32. But go over to Exodus 20, look at verse 1. I want to show you the deception that they're moving into. Just look at verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. God brought them out. And then we just read over in verse 4 where they say, Oh, Israel, these, meaning the golden calf, are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The warning is to never devise a salvation without dedication. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to good works. We are people, like Paul said, of the Thessalonians. They turn from idols to God to serve. There was a process of turning from sin to the Lord, and then they went on in good works, and people saw their labor of love, their work of faith, and their steadfastness of hope. Now, here's the good news. We preach a salvation that is to be followed by dedication, but the same power that saves us enables the dedication. That's good news. I'm not left on my own. I have the power of the Holy Spirit that is enabling me, empowering me with victory over sin. It wasn't just a moment of salvation. I have come into a life of salvation, the life of the power of God, helping me to be triumphant, a winner, a victor. In this culture, it's all about dysfunction and being a victim, and I can blame everything I do wrong on someone else. Rather than taking personal responsibility, confessing my sin, and allowing the power that saved me to empower me to live victoriously. We preach a salvation that is by grace. You reach up with your hand of faith. He reaches down with his hand of grace. And he lifts you out of a horrible place. But then you walk in dedication to him. We don't use the grace as a license to sin. We use the grace at a, as a motivation to walk in holiness, liberty, love, and service to God. Hallelujah. So pray with me tonight. Lord, we see this warning to not cheapen the gospel, to not just look for fire insurance, Lord, a marvelous grace that would open us to a whole new way of living. And that way of living empowered by your spirit. Where we are in a morphing process, being transformed. Lord, I thank you for the renewing, ongoing work of the spirit in our lives. The, the progressive sanctification that is happening and may we ever yield to that. Be serious about it, focused on making tomorrow better than today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. amen. And then here's the third warning. 
The warning is never try to worship without brokenness. Look at verse 5. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, hey, tomorrow we are going to have a great church service. He called it a festival. The people got up early that next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I want you to see that they used the guidelines of godly worship, yet it's without God. It had all the outward signs. It just missed God. So essentially what's happening is they are worshiping themselves. Could that happen in the present day? Could worship services be created and when it's all said and done, people are just really worshiping themselves? Could it happen? I want to move out in Barracuda waters for just a moment. It is possible to just spectate and we're articulating with our mouth, but our heart can be far from the, the connecting with God through what it is we're saying. We can be singing songs and working on the grocery list for tomorrow. And if my wife was here, she would say, like you've ever worked on a grocery list. So see, I was convicted right then. My heart is becoming more tender. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to speak in tongues right now. And she's not even here to see how quick I was to confess. So you tell her. You tell her next time you see her, right? Put on her Facebook. Anyway, now I have pride. Now that was sin. God, I just can't. I can't. Oh, wretched man, wretched man, wretched man. Well, let's just baptize people in water. I don't want form. Of godliness, I don't want to go through the motions of a church service. Let me tell you the strong components of that lane one that we call worship. It's about praise. It is about preaching. And it is about prayer. All which connect us to our awesome God. Out of that work, we will go and love people. That's where we get into lane two called connection. Lane one it fuels my spiritual growth and it gives me passion for lane four, which is outreach. You have heard me say, may we tremble at the word of God. When Nehemiah opened up the word, the people rose up and then they bowed down because they trembled at the word of God. Ezra tore his tunic, got on his face before God. In Ezra 10, the people gathered and all they did was weep over their sin. Could you imagine in the present day if we gathered simply to weep over those areas where we have fallen short of the glory of God and said, Lord, we know you love us and we want to be better for you. Empower us to be more like you. Now, I started out in, in that area of singing, spectating versus participating. You can look around and you can, you can see when people are just spectating versus entering in. I pray we would enter in. I pray we would not just observe. Here's what I find. If I just spectate, it's easy to become critical. But when I get involved and I get my eyes off those around me, those in front of me, and I just immerse myself in the truth of the presence of God and the declaration of God, my heart opens and I find myself rejoicing. Strength rises, faith rises, enthusiasm rises. 
Let me talk about giving for a moment. Is it possible? Is it possible for it to all be about us? Well, let's use giving. We believe that we honor God in obedience when we give 10% of all that we make back to God. Huge amounts of people that attend this church don't tithe. Should we take that seriously? Should that be an indicator? Do we take God at his word on this? Could it be that we sing? And and, and here's the deal. Uh, Occasionally people will tip. They may not tithe, but they'll tip. As long as you keep singing it the way they want it. And if they don't like the way you're doing it, they'll go down the road and pay for religious goods and services somewhere else. And I just want to say, let's hurry up to the next point because I feel the oxygen getting sucked out of the atmosphere. I just want to say we can look at Exodus 32 and see that they have a worship going on with no brokenness. They're using the guidelines of godly worship without God and we must not read this and say, well, that's an Old Testament story. It's very possible for it to happen today. And I've only, I've only referenced a couple of areas where that might be an indicator and let it be a warning or may we confess, Lord, forgive us. Wouldn't it be great if we would be the first church where 100% of us are honoring God with all that we are? Wouldn't that be awesome? What kind of influence could we have on the world What kind of of seed could we sow in the harvest fields around this world if we all honor God? Can you imagine, you talk about a Wednesday night transition where this church is going to grow and we are going to need to keep expanding. You know how we could do that if we just all honor God with all that we have then God will see to it that there will always be more than enough for anything that we have need of. Let's pray right now. Lord, we take this warning to never worship without brokenness. Lord, we realize that when we are willing to be broken before you, that you will exalt us. We humble ourselves before you. You will lift us up. We can descend into greatness when we obey it honors you. And we walk beneath a protective powerful presence and anointing and so lord we take this warning to heart to not just go through the guidelines of godly worship but not have god may it be about you may we be desperate for you in jesus name and everyone said this final warning out of Exodus 32 is to never create a God without retribution. You see, the golden calf, it just sat there. No consequences. Let me read to you what R.C. Sproul said about the golden calf. It gave no law, demanded no obedience. It was just deaf and dumb, unable to intrude and call them to judgment. Therefore, it was a religion designed by men, practiced by men, and ultimately useless for men. They remade God in their own image. Let's be warned by this so that we don't preach a God who is okay with our independence, a God who would never discipline us, 
a God of love and compassion, but also holiness. Let's be warned and let's confess if we've moved into this. Let's be thankful that Jesus took our retribution. All of the anger and wrath of God was poured on him. The wages of sin are death and Jesus paid the wage. Jesus took our place. He took our sin upon himself and he conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. So even Paul could write, Oh, death, where is thy sting and grave, where is thy victory? It's been swallowed up in the, in the complete work of Christ at the cross. The wrath of God, all sin, it has been paid for. But may we still know there are consequences to our actions. That whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. And so we would never just preach a God who winks at sin. Pray with me about that. Lord God, I just pause with the church right now and we recognize that you are God and we are not. If we've tried to remake you in our own image, we ask your forgiveness. Tonight, Lord, we want to walk in the light. We want to walk carefully. We want to walk in holiness and we're empowered to do that by your love and your presence. We want to dance in that freedom and walk in that liberty that we have sung about tonight. And we don't do that by being on our agenda, but by being on your agenda. Jesus, you died and rose again to move us to God's agenda, to transform us into his image. And so once again, if we have followed a cultural way rather than a biblical way, we are quick to confess our sin and we're quick to say we will follow you, that we love you, that we are desperate for you, that we need you, that you are everything and even more. Thank you for your amazing grace. And thank you for these warnings that we see tonight in this passage of scripture. And may we as the assembly, this faith family, move forward together carefully with an appropriate reverence for God knowing that you do love us with a love that has no limits. But the way we live matters. It matters to you. It matters to a watching world. I pray that out of that authenticity, there would be such a cutting edge of evangelism that our testimony would be so winsome before a confused, lost culture that they would be drawn into you by the compelling and clear representation of Christ that they receive out of our lives. If all of us, Lord, are a letter known and read of men, may it be a letter of influence about the grace of God. If we are a masterpiece in your hands, then may we be a portrait that is painted so powerfully that it draws people to the cross. Lord Jesus, just send a revival, a downpour, I pray, of your Spirit's reign as we walk in a repentant heart and a heart for holiness, lifting high your greatness and allowing your almightiness to overcome our humanness. Oh, we thank you for all that you have done and all that you desire to do. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord, and everyone said, let's give the Lord praise for his word tonight.